Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. This meeting is the run-up to Miracle Offering next week, and it's probably one of the most important weekends in the life of the church. And I wanted to say this to you and remind you, especially if you're new at Rivers, God does miracles at Miracle Offering in response to our giving. We can't buy a miracle, but it often seems that when you have that faith and you sow at that special time believing God, there's often a release of miracles because we attach our faith to our giving and God seems to honor it with multiplication. Now, there's lots of misinformation about money. Have you noticed that? In fact, there are lots of myths about money wrong beliefs, and poor attitudes to money. And here's an important principle. What you believe is how you will live. What you believe about money is how you will, what attitude you'll have to it and how you use it. And so I want to speak to you today, and, and it's, it's, it's important because I've, I've noticed again, as a church journeys along, people get bad attitudes about money, and, and they're not just small attitudes. They're not just like, eh, they're like they can be like this. I, I was reading, let me just say this before I give you the title, I was reading about this 36-year-old man uh, who burnt down St. Basil the Great's church in, uh, in, in uh, Pagalova. Uh, the reason he burnt the church down is because his wife attended there and she was a committed volunteer and she used to give money and he got so angry about the fact that she was giving some of their money to the church and that she was volunteering, that he, he didn't just disagree with her on it, he poured petrol all around the church and set it on fire. That's how strong the attitudes people get about money. Now, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if in the room, you're sitting there all decent today, but inside you're going, because I've discovered that people don't understand money, they've got strange ideas about money, and I want to speak to you today, and I've entitled the message, I've taught on this kind of thing in various ways many times, but I want to speak about understanding the truth about money. Because there are many myths about money, and we'll look at seven myths about money today. Let me tell you where I'm going. When I get to the number five, I'm going to expand on it extensively. You'll think I've lost the context of the message, but then I'll come back and we'll look at six and seven, and then we'll make some decisions concerning money and our lives at the end of the meeting. Let me give you the first myth that I've discovered that people say uh, about money is money is the root of all evil. How many of you have heard that? Money is the root of all evil. Well, now it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. I mean, you know, we all have money and we all use money and we all need money. So how can we call money evil? No, no, it's the love of money that is evil. And we must love God and use money, not love money and use God to get money. That's what some churches uh, are guilty of practicing. And so we're not controlled by money or love money, but we love God and we use money. And money is not good or evil, it takes on the persona of the user. A drug dealer can use money, cash, 200 rand notes and buy drugs with it and sell it on the street. And then with that same, those same notes can go into a bakery that is a Christian bakery and buy donuts and the Christian baker can bring it here and tithe on it. See, it's not the note, it's the user. And the persona of a person is the issue with money, not the money itself. And the Bible does warn us about money because there are both warnings and uh, promises concerning money. Let me give you a couple of warnings here. Money lovers are warned. 
Bible is clear about money is a dangerous thing at times, and money lovers are warned. Don't love it, don't put your hope in it, don't chase it. And uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, for the love of money is the root, notice this, of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. People become devious with money, even Christians. You need to guard your heart. The Bible warns us. And I was reading about uh, this uh, family in 2010 uh, in Tokyo. The officials of the city wanted to go and see this man. They considered him to be the oldest man alive at 111 years old. And so they went and knocked on the door in order to celebrate this man and give him an award. And his daughter, 81 years old, tried to drive them away. And they said, no, we want to see your father and we want to give him this award. Well, it turns out that her father had died 30 years before and they had mummified him and kept him in the house so that they could keep collecting his pension for 30 years. The love of money will do strange things to you. Hmm? No one guilty of doing that here. Number two. The Bible tells us here money givers are encouraged. So money lovers are warned. Money givers are encouraged to give. And you heard this morning, Pastor Bilmer mentioned, we need to give, sow, share, contribute, tithe, and regularly give. And then number three, money time in church is an investment time. We're told that when we give in church, we're sowing. We're saving. Matthew says that don't store up treasure on earth, where moth and rust corrupt, but store treasure up in heaven. So if you give with faith in church, you know what you're doing? You're sending it on ahead. Don't forget that. You're not paying the bills of the church. You're investing in the next generation and you're sending it into a heavenly bank account. Here's the thing. Money doesn't come from heaven first. It comes from you first. Then having you given, then it comes from heaven. God first works in the natural, then in the spiritual. And the fourth thing here, looking at money, uh, this money myth, is money time is a worship time. Do you know that when you're given the offering, it's worship time? And I know some of you, when it comes to singing in church, you're like, don't like this song. And when it comes to giving, don't like this. It's worship. Let me remind you, when the Magi, the wise men, came to Jesus when he was born, what did they do? The Bible says they worshipped him with a mouth. Then they opened their treasures and gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know what they did? They were financing the little boy Jesus for the future. They were financing the body of Christ. When you give its worship, not just with the mouth, but you're financing this body into the future. Amen. I want to encourage you not to view money as evil. God views money as a worthy gift to give us and bless us with. Remember that. And it's not an evil thing. It's a wonderful thing and God promises to assist us and guide us in our money management. A couple of verses here just to remind you under this point. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Psalm 35 and verse 27, let them say continually, Jehovah be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. How I many you know God delights when you prosper? He doesn't delight when you're greedy, but he delights when you prosper because money is a tool. And Psalm 128 and verse 2, you will eat the fruit of your labor, blessings and prosperity 
will be yours. When you go to work and work and when you give, God always wants to reward you and he usually gives money. It is not evil, it is the love of money. The second myth that we have and wrong understanding about money is money is not important. Money is not important. If you think money is not important, I'll take a pause in the meeting and you can form a queue and bring it to me right now. I mean, you know, it's very important, especially as the month wears on. Hmm? Money is extremely important. And people say we shouldn't mention it in church. People get offended. But Jesus said more about prayer, about money, sorry, than prayer and love. 2,000 verses in the New Testament speak about money and possessions. And uh, money is powerful. It creates. It releases. It builds. It can open schools and feed people. It can educate the poor. It can finance homes for orphans, like the Acres of Love Homes that we finance, all 10 of them. And uh, we can spread the gospel. We can assist the needy like we do at Rivers Church. And money in our hands, listen, is a threat to Satan's kingdom. Because the more we use the gospel, the more we spread the gospel, the more we plant campuses, the more we finance churches around the country and help people. You know what happens? The devil's term is shortened and, the, and, the, and we hasten the coming of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Money is very, very important. See, prosperity must be viewed as a tool for fulfilling the will of God. And if you think money is not important, money is, is incredibly powerful. Money speaks. I know some people say mine says bye-bye. <laughs> but money speaks. You know what it says to buildings? I can build you. It says to the poor, I can feed you. It says to children, I can, I can train you and develop you in children's church. It says to staff, I can pay you. Hmm? It says to guest speakers, we can host you. No, it's a powerful thing. Number three, this is the third myth about money. Money can make you happy. Have you noticed the wealthy are often unhappy? And the Bible says this, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow. When I see Christians with lots of possessions who are unhappy, I wonder if that prosperity came from God or they connived it. Because usually when it comes from God, you're happy. It's a sign that it's come from the Lord. We can be financially rich, but spiritually broke. And some people say, well, I'd, you know, I'd rather be unhappy and be able to look for happiness in expensive places if I had money. But money doesn't make you happy. I think knowing God and knowing the free gift of Christ is what we need. And uh, money is a tool, not an instrument of pleasure. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 12, the sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. As for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. In verse 10, it says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Now, this is a funny verse. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. I've noticed that. When we first went in the ministry and we were living on mixed skim milk, I was quite thin. But as we've prospered, the fat of the land has stuck to me. <laughs> As goods increase, so do those who consume them. But he says here, and what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? You know what I think? I think sometimes it's not us feasting our eyes on them. We like others to feast their eyes on what we've got. We need to get over ourselves and say, God, we live for your glory, not our glory. See, unbelievers encounter the problems that prosperity bring, brings, but believers discover the purpose that prosperity brings. Can you say amen? 
And uh, money can harm us, and uh, it doesn't make people happy. You can't fill the emptiness in your soul or, the, or cover over the pain of loneliness. And it's, here's the thing. If you've got a lot of money, you never know whether people are following you or friends with you or loving you because of your money or is it because, is it because of you? Hmm? I've seen many people. You see someone that can barely walk, coughing, <laughs> and then there's a young chick with them. And you think... <laughs> She loves him unconditionally, like the love of God. Sorry, I happened to see that while I was traveling a few times. Just maybe made me wonder. Three ways money can harm you. Just, just here, we're talking about not making us happy. Three ways money can harm you, and you need to be warned about money so that you don't fall into stress. Money can be deceptive. See, because it promises you happiness, but it can't give you happiness. And can I say, if you've got a lovely home, many of you will know that the home wears off. That's why people keep buying and selling, keep renovating. Hmm? And by the way, as soon as you've renovated your kitchen, guess what? They come out with a new look. It used to be those white islands, that waterfall, you know, go down. And you do that, then they come and they say, no, no, it must be wood. It must be butcher block on top. So you can never, ever, that can't satisfy you. And, and I'm not saying don't renovate your house. Just don't think that that's going to give you something it's not. It's purpose. Purpose, divine Purpose. Yeah, money, money can be deceptive. Money often fuels pride. God help us. Money often fuels pride. When Pastor Holly Wagner was here, she said this to me. We were chatting about people who failed in ministry, and she said this. There are only two kinds of people in the world, the humble and the proud. And guess who God is against? And we can so easily get into that trap where we've bought the big car, and we've got this, and we've got the shoes, and, you know... It's the blessing of the Lord. No, it's not. You're a peacock inside. Slap it down. Humble yourself because the, the Lord opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And anyway, don't use possessions to make yourself look great. What are possessions? God looks at character. Money can do that to you. And lastly, money can become a God in our lives. People very seldom admit it, but they worship money and then they use God. Number four, here's the fourth. Sorry, not, you know, I've just given you one, two, three, and I'm giving you four. I'm giving you four of the other four. <laughs> you all with me? The fourth myth about money. Is this helping anyone? And you'll be surprised at this one. Faith is the key to prosperity. It's a myth. No, it isn't. It's one of the keys to prosperity, but not the key to prosperity. Don't think that if you just believe God and so that you're going to be rich. Now, there are a number of other important things like stewardship. And I've heard people complain or get angry with God because they tithed and they weren't prospering. No, no, it's much more than tithes. It's giving offerings. Tithes actually not your money. It's God's. So if you think you're sowing your tithe, you're actually not. You're giving God back his money. After that, you're sowing. And then sowing in faith is not enough. You need money management. You need wisdom. And I say this not to attack anybody. I want to say this because I want to give you some wisdom. Don't think that you can take your end of the month rent or car payment and sow it into the church offering and yield something that's going to pay your bills. No, God says you need good stewardship. We don't do that. We've never taken bond money or tithe money or any responsibility, school fees money, and brought it on Sunday like, like to the casino of the Lord. <laughs> Babe, we hit it. Jesus' name. No, don't be weird. 
You need to give God His. You need to manage well. You need to save. Money grows little by little. I hope they clap in the next service like you're clapping in this one. You see, there are no shortcuts to prosperity. Many Christians tithe, and they don't see blessing because they don't know how to sow. And can I say this? You know, if you look at a seed, I was preaching on this overseas. Um, if you look at a seed, a seed's comprised of two components. The inside of it's called the endo, uh, endosperm, and then it's got the outside that feeds it. And your money is like a seed. You, it, it needs faith to activate it. Don't just give like, oh, here comes the bag, or it's that time again. Give it with faith. But faith isn't the only key. Number five, are you still good? God doesn't need or want our money is another myth about money. God doesn't need or want our money. It's not true because the Bible teaches us that God needs our money and our giving, and it's a catalyst for miracles and for provision. Are you with me? See, Malachi, we're told to tithe, and then God says, I'll open the windows of heaven. It's a catalyst for God's provision. We're told to give in Matthew, uh, sorry, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, given it will be given unto you. See, you, you first need to give before God can do something. So God does need your money, not in the sense that he's needy, he needs something to work with. Now you'll all remember here, we're going to take a moment to diversify and unpack this a bit. How many of you remember the parable of the feeding of the 5,000? Everybody knows that parable. You see, Jesus fed 5,000 people. They say there were more than 5,000 there because the scripture, and we'll read it in a moment, mentions that there were men, 5,000. They say with women and children, could have been 15,000. And a significant miracle. In fact, there were two miracles, the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000. So let's read it here because it'll, we'll unpack it and it'll show us again and remind us of our, uh, God's need for our contribution and our participation. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. You don't want Philip on your team, because Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to build kids' own and, and the offices next door, and we only have a little bit, especially after COVID. Oh, sorry. <laughs> he said it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a little bite. How many of you know you have a guy like that in your board meeting? Why don't we all just shoot ourselves collectively? I mean, there's just no hope. Thank God we've got elders and leaders of faith in this church who push me and we believe God. Another of his disciples, Andrew, was just as bad. Simon Peter's brother spoke up. Here he's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many thousands of rivers people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, lawn. Lawn, not weed. And they sat down. Notice about 5,000 men were there. Men. Mentions the men. Patriarchal society would mention the men because they would be the workers. Jesus then took the loaves, notice this, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, as much as they wanted. Because people tell us, God just wants you to get a little bit. No, he doesn't, and I haven't even got there yet. They got as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish, and I love this. When they all had had enough to eat. Not when they all had a little bit to eat and were lucky to get some. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 
baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Incredible. I'm going to read it to you. I'll just mention it if you're making notes. But Mark chapter 8 mentions the feeding of the 4,000. And Jesus talks about both. In fact, he tells them, remember when I fed the 4,000? Remember when I fed the 5,000? And here's the thing. When he fed the 5,000, there were 12 baskets left over. When he fed the seven, uh, the, the uh, 4,000, there were seven baskets left over. You kind of try and do the ratio. Eh? It's like, oh, if you sow this, you'll get that. No, the seven baskets were bigger than the 12 baskets. The 12 baskets in the Greek were wicker baskets for carrying personal possessions, but the seven were actually harvest baskets because they were working people who came to listen to him. And here's the thing, not only did he feed them in that moment, he made sure they were fed afterwards. So God needs our contribution. Not only does he meet our present need, but he makes sure that our future need is met and that we have enough. But he needs something to work with. God doesn't work with air. He says, sow seed, and I will work with it. And it's a myth to think God doesn't need our money. It's not magic. He takes the seed, and he works with it, and he needs our participation. You see, Luke 6, 38, let me remind you, give, and you will what? So you first have to give. Now, don't switch off here. Your gift will return to you in full. Watch this. Pressed down, shaken together, to make room for Oh, I like that. Running over and poured into your lap. Here's the thing. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So God does need your money. He does need your contribution because it is the catalyst for the miracle. Next week's miracle offering, if you want to see miracles, you need to sow. We're going to sow. We always sow. We're part of gifted givers. We every week so. By the way, can I tell you this not to boast? I've been away overseas and I couldn't get on any of the apps because all the churches have got their own apps. So when it comes to giving time, you can only put a bit of cash in, you know, Australian dollars or something in the envelope. But I made sure that even though I was away, I gave something. Then when I came back this morning in the first service, I looked at the weekends I was away and what I usually give and I caught up. Because I'm not trying to get out. I'm trying to give God some seed to work with. You with me? It's not about, oh, I, th- I was away for two weekends. What a luck. I got some money for shoes. No. Don't be stupid. It's your seed. It's the miracle of his provision. Hmm? Are you with me? And it's so important we understand this, 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 this principle. So four lessons we learn from this. Uh, I did warn you we're going to digress a bit. Yeah? So four lessons we learn, uh, and they, they teach us here from John chapter 6, is uh, we must never be overwhelmed by need. Must never be. Don't be like Philip, overwhelmed and negative. Andrew, he, he had, there was, was hopeless. Don't declare the problem. Declare the Savior who is the provider. And don't be overwhelmed by the problem. Warren Wiersbe, who is a great Bible teacher, in speaking about this miracle, I, I was reading up uh, John chapter 6 as I was reading it again. I've preached on it so many times. And he, he says this, it teaches us to have compassion to look on problems as opportunities for God to work and to give him all we have and trust him to meet the needs. The practical lesson is clear. Whenever there is a need, give all that you have to Jesus and let him do the rest. Begin with what you have, but be sure you give it all to him. You see, here's the thing. No one of us can meet the needs of Rivers Church, but all of us together can. And so don't ever... Be overwhelmed by need. Number two, we need to give what we have in faith. Don't give it reluctantly. 
Give it in faith because it can make a massive difference. One contribution can change everything. And it's amazing how one person, the little boy with five loaves and two fish, created such an incredible miracle that's been spoken of for thousands of years. And he's still an inspiration to us. I was reading about the first gold rush in America, you know, the very first gold rush in the U.S. It was started in 1803, 1803, by a little boy who found, in fact, 12-year-old boy, Conrad uh, Reed, he found a 7.5-kilogram gold nugget on his father's farm. And that triggered the gold rush. Just that little boy, 12 years old. And you know how long the gold lasted? They fed that gold to the mint until 1829. 26 years worth of gold came from him finding that one nugget in the river. The whole mint of America ran on that from that one boy. You'd be surprised what your contribution can do. In fact, here's a good principle. I was reading about the American security, and you know, we went through it in July again. You forget how strict it is. You know, when you go through the take, uh, have you got anything in your pocket, sir? And I usually don't, and then they scan me. Beep, 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 beep. Now, now what do you want to do? Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Shall I? <laughs> anyway, it's usually your zip or something. But they collected from people in one year, listen to this, in 2015. I found this quite incredible. They collected from these people that, uh, you know, money they shouldn't have, $765,739 in loose change. I did a calculation. All these littles added up to 13 million. It made me think of the church. Your little, my little, he's five loaves, he's two fish, young people giving. You say, oh, what am I giving? What are, uh, they're rich people. I've seen Porsches outside and Ferraris. No, no. All, 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 everybody putting it together creates a miracle. It's seed and God needs something to work with. So give that little, but give it with faith. Can you say amen? And so, so here's, here's, here's an important principle here. And I'm talking about myth number six in the midst of all this. Myth number six is this. People say it doesn't matter how much you give. As long as you give something. No, that's actually not true. You need to give. But you need to give as much as possible because your money is seed. If your money is seed, it's not just the littles that add up. It's what you can create. Now, it's gone very quiet in this Presbyterian church. See, the Lord says that we must sow. He says here in 2 Corinthians 9, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap what? He doesn't say, oh, it doesn't matter as long as you give something. I'll make sure you get a lot. No, no, he says it's in proportion. We must give out five loaves and two fish, but if we've got more than five loaves and two fish, we need to make it available because we can create the catalyst. So it is important how much you give. Because you see, here's the scripture, and we don't want to read it this morning, we haven't got time, but God gives seed to the sower and bread for food. Don't eat your seed. It's not bread, it's meant to be sown. And miracle offering next week, we could so easily spend money on all sorts of things. We've been overseas shopping. We were quite careful with what we bought because there's other things in our lives right now and so you can get good stuff if you're careful for, uh, at good prices instead of wasting money on stupid stuff, like T-shirts for 3,000 rand that hang in the cupboard. You think, why did I buy this? You buy a T-shirt for 300 rand, 500 rand. After a year, you give it away. No problem. Don't eat your seed. Now, let me show you something here. Are you all still with me? Yeah. Let me show you something here because I'm trying to cram two messages into one. That's really what I'm trying to do. It's because I've been away. This is an elder sitting in front. He knows exactly what I'm trying to do. Listen to this. Look at this on the screen. 
if you take, it, it takes, with wheat, when you're sowing wheat, it takes 40 kilograms of seed. If you sow it in a field, 1,080 kilograms come from that 40 kilograms. That's basically a 27 times increase. Are you with me? Remember the Bible says that when you sow, you'll receive 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So 27 times is the average yield of seed, by the way. It's close to 30-fold. Are you with me? Now watch. If you take just 20% of what you got there, that 1,080, roughly 20%, 200 kilograms, and you sow that, you get a yield of how much? 5,400. Again, at only like 27 times. Hmm? 5,400 from just sowing 20%. Now take 20% of 5,400 and sow it. It's 1,080 kilograms, and what do you get? 20. 1,960 kilograms. Now, why do I say 20%? You say, 20%, Pastor Mary, isn't it supposed to be 10%? No, 10% is God's money. 10% to God because he's tithe, and just 10% of your money sowed. And look how much after three times of sowing what you get. Some of you, you haven't done three miracle offerings yet. You need to, because as you go along, the harvest increases. Hmm? Am I making sense? See, so the amount you give is important. You can't just say, well, I planted 40 kilograms, now I'm going to plant 40 kilograms again. Tired of them asking me for money. No, God says what you give and what you sow will increase. And so it's a myth to think that we can just give any little bit. The more you sow, the more you reap, the amount is important. Number three here now, looking at this parable, the principles we can learn, we need to trust Jesus' power to meet the needs. When you sow, don't connive, just give it to him and trust him. Next week, we can have an opportunity for you to bring your money and to sow your money. Put it in the hands of Jesus and believe for an amazing miracle. Jesus not only met the need of the hungry present, but he met the need of the hungry future. And I'm trusting him a miracle offering to meet our needs in the current season over December and January and so on, but then also in the years to come. Meet your needs and to meet the needs of Rivers Church. And number four, under this parable, as we've packed it out, I hope you've got something here. And I'll move quickly. We need to get ready in expectation. Watch this. To gather up our pieces. See, Jesus got them to gather up the pieces to show them that God is the God of more than enough. And they ended up with seven baskets and 12 baskets. We need to expect abundance. And here's the thing. Can I encourage you? You don't suddenly find a big basket outside your door. You know what God usually does? He gives it to you piece by piece. But you need to expect it. It'll come from this person, and then that person, and then a return from the revenue. I've lately been getting return from the revenue. Don't tell anybody. It's been amazing. I mean, you know, when you get, a, when you get money back from the revenue, it's like, that's like a miracle, eh? Because I'm always thinking they're going to look and go, oh, so he has breakthrough ministries, and he, he gets money from books. Okay, let's chop him. But this year again, I got money back. It's gathering up the pieces. And then I can sow again out of that money I got. Oh, I love it. I love serving the Lord. Here's another myth, myth number seven. As I begin to move to a close, we should not give expecting to get. How dumb can you be and still breathe? Yes, we should. You should give expecting to get. Luke 6, 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Hmm? Jesus said, no one is left father or mother, lands and houses will not in this life also receive father, mother, lands and houses and in the life to come eternal life. He promised us that we will receive a reward. God is a God of rewards. 
and you need to expect rewards. And so as we move to a close here today, I want us to come to a decision time. The word decision, and I want to just take a moment here, decision is a very important word. In the Latin, it means desidera, and the word desidera doesn't always convey what we think in the English, but you know what a decision means? It means to cut off. Decadera means to cut off. That's where we get the word decision from. So how many of you know when you make a decision, you cut off other options? Let me give you an example. If you go to a Chinese restaurant, you have cut off options of Italian food and KFC. (laughs) That decision, you can't now go to a Chinese restaurant and say, don't you have pizza here? What's wrong with your restaurant? I felt like chicken tonight. You go to a Chinese restaurant, you cut off options. When you marry someone and you decide to marry someone, you cut off options. When you decide to give to Miracle Offering, you cut off other options of shoes and jeans and holidays and all sorts of things you might wonder because you say, I have decided to sow, believing that this is a catalyst for miracles. And if you keep entertaining and you haven't decided, you, you won't make it. You've got to decide and then leave it there. No, I think maybe we made a mistake. Husbands and wives, listen to me. I always joke about it. If you get two amounts in your head that you should give to miracle offering, the lower one is the devil, the higher one is God. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Because we always go, yes, and then we're like, let's be sensible. (laughs) Now we need to decide. So three things we need to decide here today. Number one, we need to decide what we believe about money. Can I say you have to start cutting off false beliefs about money if you want God to prosper you. Decide what you'll believe about money. Number two, decide what you will do with your money. The 50th year anniversary is coming up. Miracle offerings come up. Decide in this week ahead that you will sow into the next generation, that we can leave a legacy. I've not stopped sowing. I've not reached my peak. I've not got to a place where, while I've done all the hard work and I've made sacrifices... I continue to view God as a wonderful, wonderful father who I need to constantly love and serve and worship with my giving and constantly sow into the next generation. And then number three here, decide what we will do about following Jesus. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said about this parable we read today, um, sorry, about the miracle we read today. He says, this miracle was more than an act of mercy for hungry people, though that was important It was a sign of our Lord's Messiahship and an illustration of God's gracious provision for man's salvation. Jesus is the bread of life. And you know what he was saying? If you're hungry, come to me. I'll feed you and I'll keep feeding you and I'll keep feeding you. And so not only is he the material provider, he's the spiritual provider. And we need to make a decision as to what we believe about money, what we'll do with our money, but most of all, what we will do with Jesus. As I close today, I wanted to tell you a story I read in a book by Dr. Michael Yusuf. Interesting book, and if you get time to read it, it's called Help Me Overcome My Circumstances. And in the book, he tells the story of a pastor friend of his who grew up in uh, Northern California, an area we've been to many times called Laguna Beach. Laguna Beach has some cliffs there. And uh, he said he's pastor friend and uh, grew up there. And his pastor friend told him this. He said, we used to go to those cliffs. We were full of bravado, me and my friends, and we used to run and jump off those cliffs into the sea. But here's the thing. There were rocks at the bottom, and there was a very, very narrow section where you could run at the top. So you had to get your running right. 
Also, there's a plant called an ice plant that is on that top there. And if you slip on it, you can fall right down and land on the rocks. And he said one day they were up there with their friends and uh, they wanted to jump off and the friends were doing it. And the one guy ran and as he got halfway, he, did, he felt he didn't have enough momentum. So he decided to, to stop. Well, as he stopped, he slid on the ice plant. And he slid right up to the edge, fell onto his back and he was hanging over with his feet. He would have fallen to his death. And in those seconds, he said there was horrifying seconds where they, where they like in a slow motion, they were paralyzed. And then finally, they grabbed him and they dragged him back off the edge. They said they'd never, ever forgotten that incident. And he never forgot that incident. And this is what he says about it. He says the moral of the story is that if you're cliff jumping, like so many choices in life, it requires an all-in commitment. You're either all in or all out. If you make a half-hearted decision with the possibility of changing your mind at any point, you stand a very good chance of ending up on the rocks. I believe it's the same with money. It's the same with Christ. You can't now run and pull back. You've got to give it your all. Give next week, give your all. And if today you're in the meeting and you're not right with God, give him your all. If you don't know Jesus, don't say, well, I kind of like test. No, no, give him your all. Because when you make that decision and you cut off other options, that's when God is able to work. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.